evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast coming to you from Studio 14 here in Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Wednesday, February 28, 2024. South Sudanese government officials admit the severe impact of Sudan's conflict on the oil industry. The war in the sisterly neighbor, the Sudan, has greatly impacted on the economic situation in South Sudan, which relies mainly on oil production. And communication blackouts prevent health officials from monitoring and responding to emergencies in some parts of Sudan hit by fighting. It's really, really difficult. So now, yes, indeed, uh, we have no, uh, no idea about what's happening in uh, other places. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. South Sudanese officials say the country is facing huge economic obstacles, which they blame on the conflict in Sudan. The majority of the national revenue comes from crude oil, but it has not been enough to counter soaring commodity prices. The government has recently resorted to other revenue streams, as we hear from Denis Logoni in Juba. Minister of Information and Telecommunications Michael Makwe says the government is unable to execute the 2023-2024 fiscal year budget due to problems with selling the country's oil, which include the fighting in Sudan. The war in the sisterly neighbor, the Sudan, has greatly impacted on the economic situation in South Sudan, which relies mainly on oil production. The oil wells that were waterlogged by heavy floods over the first rainy seasons are still recovered and the oil sector has not been able to increase production. Now the pipeline taking our crude to Port Sudan has experienced gelling process in numbers one and five stations, making it difficult for the crude oil to reach export market, that is to reach Port Sudan. Even if the crude were to reach Port Sudan, it would still not be possible to ship it for sale due to the threat of blockage of shipping in the Red Sea. McQuay acknowledges that the sky Rocketing prices of goods has caused a lot of suffering for South Sudanese, but says the government is working to turn around the economy. Makwei says these moves will enable the government to meet its obligations, including paying the salaries of civil servants who have not been paid in months. The financial crisis causing extreme suffering in the country likely originate from poor fiscal performance due to lack of revenue, diversification, and dependence on oil proceeds. To resolve this fiscal crisis, the government is taking proactive measures to mobilize resources through streamlining collection, consolidating government finances, implementing public finance management reforms, and diversifying the economy. Alich Garang, the governor of the central bank, says the Bank of South Sudan is working to stabilize the market by instituting a restrictive monetary policy. The government has other alternative sources of revenue, and that is the non-oil revenue. Uh, at the moment, I can submit that your government is working day and night to increase non-oil revenue. We have to double our effort as a bank to ensure that normally branch can become operational soon. And so uh, what I can say today is that once with central bank branch operates in normally, it's going to be easy. Economist Abraham Aliet is an advisor to the government's economic cluster. He suggests the government has to look for additional sources 
sources of revenue to turn around the economy. You don't, there is, you cannot call them revenue before you process them for it to become revenue. So I would say we are going to revert to other resources, not non-oil resources. To fund economy means that they need to introduce new resources, need to tap the new resources, including gum Arabic, including gold, including fish and fisheries, including uh, animal wealth and animal products, and then agriculture. These are the things now government need to do. South Sudan depends on oil for 98% of the government's annual operating budget and 80% of its growth domestic product. Last week, South Sudan crude oil sold for $76.57 a barrel. For VOA News, I'm Dennis Logonye reporting from Juba. Still on the impact of the Sudan conflict, communication blackouts across multiple states in Sudan have severely hindered health officials' ability to monitor and respond to diseases and health crises during the conflict between the National Army and the paramilitary of the Rapid Support Forces. The outages began earlier this month, with only a few states managing to partially restore services, leaving the majority of Sudan's 18 states in complete blackout. Claire Nicolet, head of emergency response at the medical charity Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, says the blackout has made it impossible to coordinate emergency health responses. She tells me, with severe food shortages and halted vaccination campaigns, there is a looming risk of disease outbreaks and other emergencies that officials are not able to monitor. It's quite, quite difficult because of, uh, of not being able indeed to, to do any coordination. So if you want to, to start calling someone, so of course as it's not possible, so then the only way is, uh, is, is to go and find them. So, uh, for instance, to coordinate uh, any response, it has been a very massive challenge for us uh, to discuss with our other partners, uh, etc. It, it's really, really difficult. So now, yes, indeed, uh, we are no, uh, we have no idea about what's happening in uh, other places, uh, even um, for the, the people in Khartoum that we have project there. I think we spend almost uh, two weeks without really uh, knowing the situation. Uh, so it means that uh, it's slowing down a lot the, uh, the response, basically, uh, and make it uh, quite difficult, uh, the information. So as you mentioned, even in terms of data or order, we don't manage to get really uh, proper data and uh, information around this. So that's really where the, the difficulty is. The implications of uh, of this uh, for a country or population that's already in a very uh, severe situation, emergency situation. Uh, what what do you expect is going to result out of this? Because you have the possible disease outbreaks, you have uh, people who are wounded, uh, people who are uh, grappling with sanitation issues, with displacement. How is this uh, playing out? For instance, uh, if you have an emergency case during the night, for us, we cannot even call uh, anymore the ambulance. So because we don't have ambulances in all the facilities we are supporting, so it means that uh, sometimes that's the situation. Because with uh, with this uh, situation, we you cannot even uh, uh, respond properly to emergency because you cannot call ambulance, you cannot explain how uh, is the situation, can you do this, can you do that. So this is this is really, really super difficult. And of course, it means that it will put uh, some lives in, in danger for sure. And last time I spoke with you, Claire, uh, you were in Al-Fashir, between Al-Fashir and Chad, and we talked mm-hmm. about the dire... Exactly 
humanitarian situation and health situation, especially for children in Zamzam uh, displacement camp and other places. Children were dying every day. But now with this blackout, with the war, the conflict going on, what is the situation now? Has anything changed? Has it gotten worse? No, but the problem is uh, that uh, there is no there is no uh, improvement. Uh, there is uh, still uh, very much lack of factors. Uh, there is uh, uh, less and less. Uh, there is less and less. Uh, I mean, for instance, you mentioned about vaccine. There is no more vaccines at, at the moment, so the risk of outbreak is even uh, getting higher. Uh, of course, uh, there is no also uh, food distribution or, or even uh, all this. So it means what? It means that little by little, uh, uh, we will uh, will go. Uh, you know, it will uh, it will continue like this, and it will be just uh, worse and worse. So th- that's the situation. More we see the the things moving, uh, the less it can be uh, it can be uh, improving because uh, basically everything, even the prices are going up. By the way. So yes. you know, it's this is a, this still the the, the the continuity. So of course, uh, if if it continues like this, it means that the people they are not they don't have uh, in, enough money to buy anything on the market. Uh, they don't. Uh, so it's I just see the situation worsening, honestly, unfortunately. Yes, and uh, the the lack of food food shortages like have been a problem all along. But now when you're not even when you're not even able to gather information about people who are hungry, who are sick, who are on the verge of dying because of this. Yes, we need support, basically. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the situation. It means that the the coordination of of aid is almost impossible with this one. That's Claire Nicolet, MSF's Head of Emergency Response, is speaking with me from Paris this past hour. She recently returned from Darfur, where she coordinates MSF's health response at the border with Chad. In recent months, Sudan has grappled with outbreaks of cholera and dengue fever in various parts of the country. We move to Chad, where sporadic shots were heard today in Chad's capital in Jemena, near the headquarters of an opposition party, which the government has accused of an overnight attack on the Internal Security Agency's offices. The government said the attack left several dead. International news agencies report the army has surrounded the offices of the Socialist Party Without Borders, or PSF, in central Jemena. The violence comes amid tensions ahead of a presidential election set for May, which could return the Central African state to constitutional rule three years after military authorities seize power. Accounts of the incidents from the government and the party opposition party differed. A government statement said the agency was attacked by representatives of the opposition party, led by its leader, Yaya Dilo, resulting in several deaths. South Africa is gearing up for its seventh general election under universal adult suffrage on May 29, 2024. The Africa Liberal Network Women's Empowerment Program, supported by the Frederick Norman Foundation for Freedom, empowers female politicians by providing them with the necessary skills to secure candidate nominations, win elections, and take leadership roles within their parties. Masechaba, 
Masemola Wandaka, the Regional Programs Officer for Sub-Saharan Africa at Frederick Norman Foundation for Freedom, spoke to VOA's Paul Indiho about the initiative via Skype from Johannesburg, South Africa. The model that we use as the Food Dishnaman Foundation is that we don't consider ourselves a donor. We very much see the people we work with in country as our partners and supporting their roles in human rights defense, whether it is also in litigation, but also very much in advocacy. So in terms of our footprint, um, very much working in our different country offices as well, which I've mentioned before, around um, journalism, um, freedom of the media, um, we also work very much with human rights defenders across various topics. Um, we've covered female genital mutilation. We've covered post-conflict war countries. Um, we've covered also what um, the legal framework looks like in countries around the African court, the African court on human and people's rights. We do a lot of work uh, uh, with women, especially women who are trying to vie for office uh, in different parts of Africa. How do you uh, encourage or empower these women uh, to, I know, to take on uh, the biggest challenge, a run for office. So, you know, I think a conversation that's been happening, at least for the better part of the last 15 years or so, has been around uh, bringing women and their representation in the political space, but more so in leadership and decision-making. We have, since 2019, supported the Women Leadership Program, which is looking at female representatives from liberal political parties, uh, in Africa, who then come together on a three-part or four-part session in a year, where they are basically given soft skills and also very much thematic skills, topical skills around how to go about their way of work. Where we've seen also with members of parliament, you know, parliament is the legislative body of any government. This is where decisions are taken, and representation in parliament is where the power is, is, is actually held. So for us, um, this has really been something that we've seen ourselves um, taking a lead in and obviously contributions from the African part and our, and the women who have been part of this process at each every cohort has, has been really remarkable. You have uh, a, a date now set in South Africa. Elections are coming up, I think, uh, May 29th. That's when... Uh, yeah. Uh, people are likely to go uh, vote for representatives. Uh, from uh, talking to you, uh, you just uh, expressed uh, how you're helping a lot of uh, women. Uh, are you planning to do that uh, for women parliamentarians or for women legislators around uh, around the country in South Africa? Yeah, definitely these elections celebrating 30 years of uh, South Africa's uh, democracy real democracy um, and the challenges that we faced up until now. But as we think about the elections and support of what that looks like for engaging youth especially, I think voter apathy is something that is not just a South African phenomenon, but it's everywhere across the African continent. We actually are running a series uh, where we will be having uh, mayoral candidates or premier candidates that will be having debates in different provinces. And this is also where we are going to see, obviously, you know, there's a candidate list, so that is already prescribed. But of course, when it comes to what it looks like for young women and also youth participation, uh, we very much are wanting to engage on various digital platforms to make sure that um, reach is definitely there um, to, to enable that whatever vibrant democracy you want to see post the election date of 29th is basically the mirror of the will of the people of South Africa. That was Masachaba Masemola Wamdaka speaking to VOS Paul Indiho.
You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, the number of migrants crossing daily into the U.S. has fallen since December. Find out why after this break. Hello, listener of South Sudan in Focus. We have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. All you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic, and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number, plus one, two zero two, six three zero, eight zero one one. That is plus one, two zero two, six three zero, eight zero one one. And our proverb today is provided by our listener Peter Gonj Anyang in Jongle State. This is Peter Gonj Anyang Majongle in Jongle State, South Sudan. I have a Dinga proverb that says, Makorba par wanukwet kipalkwang wanubas. Meaning, if you want to fly with eagles, stop swimming with duck, which is meaning that if you want to aim high, you stop lowering yourself. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Kenyan communities near Tsavo National Park are seeing a rise in human-wildlife conflict, impacting their lives and income. Communities near the park complain of animal attacks and crop destruction, exacerbating poverty. The group Five Talents Kenya is helping the affected communities to to reduce conflicts in part by introducing alternative crops that animals are less likely to eat. Mohammed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. In mid-2023, Kenya's Ministry of Tourism and Wildlife disbursed $6.2 million as compensation to victims of human-wildlife conflict, covering deaths, injuries and crop and livestock losses. According to the Kenyan Wildlife Service, the government faces additional pending claims of more than $39 million due to human-wildlife conflicts. Obadia Mwakireti, a farmer in Taita Taveta County, has lost maize and sorghum crops to elephants and other animals from Savo National Park. To survive, the 52-year-old farmer shifted to planting alternative crops. I have lost a lot of money farming these other crops and we were not being compensated for our loss other than getting sorry. But now it is better. I am farming sunflowers. I harvest and press the oil and sell it, he says. Other farmers have turned to growing sunflowers and green gram and surrounding their fields with thick K-apple hedges to deter animal intrusion. Kenya's population growth has exacerbated human-wildlife conflicts aggravated by the lack of a comprehensive land use policy. Five Talents Kenya, working with the U.S. Agency for International Development, has initiated programs supporting communities near Savo National Park. Peter Mugendi, the organization's head, says the group is targeting thousands of individuals from Kitui, Kmakweni and Taita Taveta counties 
with programs aimed at reducing tension between communities and wildlife and improving people's income. The 3,600 individuals will first and foremost all be members of Thriving Accumulated Savings and Credit Association. Then they will have had their capacity built on issues of climate smart agriculture. They'll have engaged in these activities. They will also be um, linked to markets and that they are part of uh, their leadership is part of the, the servo conservation area that are contributing to uh, policy matters on conservation. Philip Murudi is Vice President of Conservation Science and Planning at the African Wildlife Foundation. He says there is a pressing need to manage the conflicts between communities and animals. So the issue is how can we live with wildlife positively? And I think uh, although it's a major issue, the battle is not lost. We have to be intentional in managing that wildlife, so the conflict situation, so that uh, people do not suffer and uh, also wildlife does not get uh, persecuted. It doesn't lose its value to the people. There are many mechanisms which can be applied, um, including land use planning, you know, compensation, there is, you know, better husbandry techniques, better cropping uh, systems. Reducing human-wildlife conflict is a crucial matter for communities living near national parks. According to available data, between 2017 and 2020, 388 Kenyans were killed by wild animals and nearly 2,100 were injured. Mohamed Yusuf, VOA News, Nairobi. Though the number of migrants crossing daily into the U.S. has fallen since December, local communities are still scrambling to provide them with resources. In the Pacific Northwest, a small-town church has become a shelter for hundreds of people from Africa and Latin America. From Tukwila, Washington, VOS Natasha Mazogvaya has our story. Hello. I don't know what you're saying. Jen Bolerjek is the pastor of Riverton Park United Methodist Church here in Tukwila, a suburb of Seattle. In the past year, the church has helped about 1,000 migrants find shelter, food, and clothing. Somehow this place has been listed across the country and at the border that this is the place to go. And yet I'm kind of embarrassed when they get here and we have to say, no, you got to sleep in a wet, soggy tent. Early on, the church's open door for the most vulnerable was met with local donations and support from the city. But Bolerjik says those limited resources are now being stretched by as many as 25 new asylum seekers per week. It's wall-to-wall mattresses at night with people sleeping, and all of their possessions are lining the edges of the room. It's, it's not the best system, but it's the best we can do. Jeremiah Lefaux says he left Angola with his wife and children in December 2022. When I arrived here in the United States, I didn't have a place to go. They protected me, and then I was given food and drink, and I felt safe. Unlike refugees who may receive assistance through resettlement programs, asylum seekers may find themselves homeless with no means to support themselves until their work permit application is approved. Bollerjik says that in the past year, only one person seeking shelter at her church has gotten their work permit. 
they don't have a proper ID because all they have are their asylum papers coming across the border. And so some shelters turn them away for that. There are still a lot of people sleeping out there on the street, um, of course, joining the other 14,000 that we have sleeping on our streets. When temperatures dropped below freezing here, donations and funding from local and state agencies moved hundreds of asylum seekers from tents to hotels. State Representative Mia Gregerson is working toward a more coordinated response with a bill that aims to empower the local Office of Refugee and Immigrant Assistance. Tukwila is a tiny little city. I think they're really rolling their sleeves up well and really making a go of that. But there is a lot of uncertainty. What are we going to do when the funds run out? The idea is that the office is able to be nimble and be able to utilize resources quickly to not only put them into the system to get them legal advice that's correct and factual and quick, to get them the education resources, the transportation needs, and, and housing vouchers. Governor Jay Inslee is asking lawmakers for more than $8 million in additional funding in his latest state budget to support people who do not qualify for federal refugee resettlement services. Meanwhile, the Biden administration pushing for measures to reduce the number of asylum seekers who can enter the U.S. Natasha Mosgovaya, VOA News, Taquila, Washington. As negotiations to push to secure a temporary ceasefire deal that would hold the Gaza war before the Muslim months of Ramadan continue, a message from Michiganders signals anger at President Joe Biden's support of Israel's campaign that has killed almost 30,000 Palestinians. Results Wednesday showed 13% of Democratic primary voters in the critical swing state, home to a large Arab-American constituency, had marked their primary ballots as uncommitted as part of the Listen to Michigan campaign to pressure the president to back a permanent ceasefire. Pasti Widakuswara has more. Israeli airstrikes continue in Rafah, Gaza's southernmost city, where more than a million Palestinians seek safety, as negotiators aim for a temporary ceasefire ahead of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. My hope is by next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. A breakthrough is key for President Joe Biden as he faces angry Democrats horrified by the Gaza death toll. He won Tuesday's Democratic primary election in Michigan, home to a large Arab-American constituency, but faced opposition from the Listen to Michigan campaign. It mobilized people to vote uncommitted to pressure Biden to back a permanent ceasefire. One of them is Palestinian-American Adam Abu Salah, who worked on Biden's 2020 campaign. We thought he would be somebody that would lead this country with humanity and compassion, uh, but instead it's been uh, he's been leading with hypocrisy. Nationally, Arab and Muslim Americans are not a significant voting bloc. But the size of the uncommitted vote in Michigan will signal how strongly Americans reject Biden's Gaza policies as they represent other groups in the president's coalition. Minority voters, young and progressive Democrats, including anti-war Jewish voters. Noura Siddiqui, assistant professor in the Muslim Studies program at Michigan State University's political science department via Skype. Higher up Democrats assume that Democrats are going to show up to vote and are going to show up to vote for Biden because the option, the other option is so um, horrific and, and, and fear-inducing. But that also frustrates voters because they feel like they've shown up a year after year and that their perspective isn't, isn't being heard. Some American Muslims say even the alternative can't be worse than Biden. Progressive Democrat Samra Lukman is part of the abandoned Biden campaign. To have somebody like me today sit before you and say, 
I'm willing to accept a Trump presidency on the opposite side of the spectrum in order to oust Biden from office. It's really a testament to how bad this president has failed. Another testament, U.S. Air Force senior airman Aaron Bushnell set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in protest Sunday. The White House called his death a horrible tragedy. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said they understand the frustration from supporters of the Palestinian cause. We understand uh, what this means uh, to this community, and the president understands that too. So we care very much about what uh, about that and what the community again is going through. But Biden's critics say he's not listening, despite various polls showing that a growing number of Americans support a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. James Zogby, president of the Arab American Institute, via Zoom. They're listening to donors and they're listening to pressure groups. Um, and uh, and so where is the power center in the party? It's with the establishment. Where's the majority of the vote in the party? It's with the progressive wing. It's with those who feel that justice and peace are not being well served by the current policy. Without a drastic change in Biden's support for Israel, Zogby said it will be difficult to persuade Arab American voters, a key constituent in Michigan in the November election. It doesn't take too many votes to lose the critical swing state. In 2016, former President Donald Trump won it by less than 11,000 votes. Patsy Widakuswara, Viewing News. And that's all we have for you this Wednesday, February 28th. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with a taste of uh, Volindela by Brenda Fassi. I am your host, Nabil Biagio in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Foreign Engineer, William Andrade, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Oh, yeah.